Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to The Novelcast. Cybersaurus, The Awakening, Chapter 39 Stanley woke up to a pounding head. As his thoughts sparked to life, turning his unconscious dreams into conscious perceptions, he felt the presence of the Tyrannosaur warming up as well. They found their way to the waking world as one, a feat undoubtedly facilitated by the stabilizer. The dinosaur's shining blue eyes fluttered open and rolled around in its sockets, peering throughout the room. Stanley was lying on the floor of a large holding chamber, the walls and ceiling a dark industrial gray, heavy and metallic. The floor was of similar quality, though it featured crossing tracks of metal grates. Stanley squeezed his eyes closed and began to stand, pushing his torso up with his legs, keeping his head low until his body had already risen. As he lifted his great tyrannosaur head, the headache increased, and so he stood, hunched down, eyes still shut. As he lifted his body, he felt a tugging from the back of his head, as if he had caught several enormous strands of a spider's web, and was now pulling them along as he moved about. Slowly, he opened his eyes and turned his head as much as he could, in an effort to get some sort of glimpse of what was causing such a strange sensation. As he turned and peered over his shoulder, he saw a number of cables and wires hanging from the ceiling, all leading to the back of his head. He realized he was hooked up to the room itself, and he could feel wires inside his cranium as he turned and maneuvered about. He snorted, and turned back to face straight ahead, reducing the intrusion of those wires and cables to an absolute minimum while keeping his head close to the floor in an effort to prevent his headache from flaring. And while there, low and facing straight ahead, he found he was looking directly into an observation room connected to his own. A long, low window along the floor of the chamber looked through into an adjacent lower room, It was filled with computer terminals, and there also stood a pair of individuals within, dressed in nice suits, staring back at him. One of them sat at a powered-up terminal, and the other stood just ahead of him, arms crossed across his chest. Stanley had seen men like these before, and assumed they were some sort of federal agent, corporate men who were tasked with finding and bringing him in. He remembered seeing similar men chase him down and fire on him in New Washington, and guessed that they had hit him with a powerful tranquilizer, which is what caused the blackout. They must have then transported him here, which, if they were actually federal agents, could only be one place. One nation headquarters. He was somewhere on the ONHQ campus, and he guessed it was likely underground given the size and nature of his holding cell. He peered through the window at the men, and then agreed with the reactive thought prompted by the Tyrannosaur's mind. Intimidation. Opening his jaws, revealing his six-inch-long, sharp teeth, the dinosaur loosed a deafening roar within its metal cage, and Stanley took a small degree of delight upon seeing the men in the observation room react. 
shit, Time said. He can't get loose, Baker said. I know, Time responded. But if he's awake, it slows down my analysis, significantly. Then put him back to sleep. We're running out of charge, Time cautioned. We'll likely only be able to put him down once more, maybe two times after this. Once we run out, when he wakes up, he stays up. How long does a recharge take? Eight hours, Time said. It can be less if we end other processes. Which we won't. Then eight hours. Fine, Baker said. But drain it now. Use it all in one shot. Put him down for a while. Okay. Vincent started hitting panels on his terminal display and engaged the neural shutdown function. After a few moments, the tyrannosaur in the next room wavered a bit, its eyelids closing and opening, closing and opening. After about half a minute, it slowly lowered its body to the floor, glared at the two men through the glass, and then fell unconscious. There, Vincent said. Should be out for about another four or six hours. Okay, Baker responded. Start the recharge now, but continue your scan. Vincent hit a few more keys and then leaned back in his chair, looking at the sleeping dinosaur. Still nothing. I'm aware. Did they say exactly what it is that we're looking for? Vincent asked. I'll know it when I see it, Baker responded, moving back around the desk to sit next to Vincent. The rebels took some sensitive information. It seems strange to set up a peaceful negotiation just to sneak in and run on a remote server, Vincent said. It does, Baker responded, which is why I don't think that's what they had in mind. Splinter Group? Perhaps. Regardless, we have to recover that information, and it's very possible that it could have been uploaded onto this dinosaur. That seems like a really strange thing to do with the data. It all depends on what the dinosaur is capable of, electronically, Baker said. Plus, the dinosaur has the only EnviroDrive connection within nearly 200 miles. I'm sure that is not a coincidence. Vincent nodded slowly, and continued to watch the computer screen as lines of code swiftly filled it, scrolling through almost faster than the man could read them. Silence hung in the room for a while, with Warren Baker and Vincent Time both watching the screen intently. Baker was... Baker was growing more and more unnerved with this entire operation. It seemed like things were unraveling from the top down over the last few days, and it was up to him to clean up the mess and pick up the pieces, ensuring that the public was more or less unaware of the situation. He knew that the commotion last night with the dinosaur drew plenty of unwanted attention, and he hoped that the ON public relations officials could come up with a solid story to feed the presses. The story about the union leaders was already going around the major media companies, and people were talking. He had seen videos on the Omninet, and posts, discussions about the shuttle explosion, and the peace meetings with 11 of the 17 tier leaders. Some people blamed government conspiracy, but those people were quick to be labeled as conspiracy theorists, 
or rebel sympathizers. He had been keeping up with the events on Luna as well, and he didn't like where it was going. The Union tiers were on the very brink of open revolt, and his sources in the sky already told him that the shipping tier had fallen, with tiers 7 and 9 close to a coup as well. Things were heating up, and fast, and he knew it was only a matter of weeks before they had a civil war on their hands. And, amidst all of this socio-political turmoil, technological controversy, and interstellar exploration, a cybernetic Tyrannosaurus Rex just happened to show up in New Washington. It didn't add up. How's Sherman? Time's question brought Baker's mind back to the present. I don't know, Baker said, but Temple seems confident about him. He fixed him up? Baker sighed. In a way. I don't know the details, but Sherman didn't look much like Sherman. Damn, Vincent said. That guy gives me the creeps. Temple? Baker asked. Agreed. But Mr. Beta seemed pretty adamant that Temple conduct the operation, and that he used all of this new information. What does that mean? Vincent asked. Baker shrugged. I'm not sure. Probably something to do with what he learned from Dr. Wolf's work. Time frowned. God, I can't wait until my vacation period comes around. Baker looked at his associate. How much time do you have? About two weeks, he said. Wife and I are going to Canada. Baker nodded. Well, enjoy it. Just then, Warren received a small green message box in his display, signaling that Mr. Beta was once again requesting his presence. All right, Baker said. Keep the vigil. I'll be back. Meeting the boss? Baker nodded and left the room without another word. Baker stepped into the long conference room, which was mostly dark except for the runner lights along the floor, illuminating the chamber from the floor with light blue shafts of light. Mr. Beta sat at the far end, as was his norm, yet this time Baker saw a small hologram floating just inches above the far end of the table. It depicted a planet, which Baker recognized as Earth, with its blue oceans, swirling clouds, and green and brown landmasses. However, as the hologram rotated in place, Baker was surprised to see two smaller, round images orbiting around it. Two moons? he thought. Mr. Beta lifted his hand, bringing his index finger and thumb together in a quick, snapping motion that caused the hologram to disappear. He then looked up at Warren Baker and addressed the man in his calm, even tone. Mr. Baker, Beta said, please give me an update on your status. The dinosaur has been captured, he said from across the long conference table. Mr. Time is conducting a thorough search of the dinosaur's digital memory to determine if it contains the missing information. 
We have agents searching the Omninet for signs of Regina Santos and Stanley Mason. Santos's ID popped up briefly in King's Plaza, and we have dispatched some agents to investigate. Good, Beta said. And what of Dr. Temple and Dr. Wolf? Baker blinked, and thought about how to answer. Temple kept so much of his work a secret, Baker didn't know he was responsible for reporting on the doctor's behalf. Temple wasn't even in Baker's department. Why was Beta asking him this? Their work is moving along, and at an exceptional pace from what Dr. Temple made it seem. Good. Please let Temple know that we will want to see Gabriel's initial test run in the next six hours. I will. And what of Agent Sherman? Baker bristled at the question, hands clenching into fists and jaw tightening. He didn't care for this line of questions, pertaining to topics that he both wasn't knowledgeable of, and that he was unnerved by. Temple completed the operation some hours ago, Baker said, and he claimed it to be successful. Sherman was... booting up the last time I heard anything conclusive. Good, Beta said. Mr. Baker, I would recommend that you make it your priority to observe Agent Sherman over the course of the next five days, in addition to your other duties. Check in on his progress and his performance, and partner with Dr. Temple concerning that information. Yes, sir. You can begin by checking on him after leaving here, Beta said. Now, do you have anything for me? Baker swallowed. Sir, I am still uncertain of how my work and the work of Dr. Temple are connected. Beta leaned forward, clasping his hands on the surface of the table in front of him. The neon lights of New Washington were behind him, and the lines of vehicle head and tail lights on the skyways illuminated the clouds with trails of red and blue. Dr. Temple's work displeases you. I have difficulty seeing the same level of importance which you appear to see. That is because you do not see all that I see, Beta said. Temple's work and your own will become clear in time. As I am sure they will, Baker responded. But that doesn't stop me from feeling unease about it now. You're not considering seeking an adjustment of responsibilities? No, sir, Baker answered swiftly. Good, Beta said. Baker, your work is more important to the company than you can realize, as is Dr. Temple's. It is this company's goal to better the lives of its citizens and the lives of all of humanity. For now you must trust that your work is a step towards that end. Beta's words weren't a surprise. He had been saying this sort of thing ever since Baker had begun reporting directly to him. But there was something different now, something about the combination of events of the last few days that didn't sit well with Baker. The strangely religious-like attitude of Dr. Temple, the extensive cybernetic work on Agent Sherman, the arrival of a cybernetic Tyrannosaurus Rex, and the civil unrest all on Luna combined to give Warren Baker a pit in his stomach one that seemed to grow every time a colleague or supervisor mentioned the words humanity, destiny, or potential. 
Yet all he could say right now was, Yes, sir. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of The Novelcast at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.